listening to the Retro Sermons podcast. Find out more at northcolumbuschristians.com slash retro sermons. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul, in the first verses, begins, Let no man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, or let a man so consider us. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me in the Lord is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Paul deals with the subject of Judging. And he basically says in this that we are not to judge. We're not the one who determines whether a person is going to heaven or not. Paul says it's of no consequence that I might be judged by you. In fact, I don't even judge myself. He said, I don't know that there's anything wrong with me, but that doesn't mean I'm okay. Actually, Paul is talking about judgments that involve in heaven and hell, being saved or lost. Those type judgments are in God's purview, aren't they? Completely. We have no business speaking to the salvation of an individual apart from Scripture. Now understand, when we read God's revealed Word and apply Scripture to ourselves or to an individual because of the life that he's leading, the choices he's making, if we apply Scripture correctly, that's not our judging. That's God judging. What Paul's talking about here is not reading Mark 16, 16 and saying the person who refuses to be baptized is not going to be saved. Mark 16, 16 says, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who believes not shall be condemned. So when we make proper application of God's word, God's the one doing the judging. Paul's not talking about that. Paul's talking about a judgment that I might make apart from God's word. I might decide everybody that... uh, has a, a, a straight nose is going to heaven. Won't make any difference what I decide, what kind of car they drive, where they live, color their skin. None of that matters. Unless God's word states that a certain factor it is the determining factor in whether a person goes to heaven or not, it doesn't matter what I think. And so Paul concludes in verse four or verse five Judge nothing before the time. What's the time? I believe he's talking about the judgment day. The Lord will take care of all that. Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one praise will come from God. So Paul here says in 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, that we are not to judge others. Over in the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul says this beginning in verse 11. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to to do with judging those who are outside? Do not you judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves that evil person. Basically, what he says in 1 Corinthians 5 is that if a person comes claiming to be a Christian, claiming to be a brother, that I must make a judgment. 
about that individual. If I find that though he claims to be a brother, he is living in adultery, or he is a covetous man, or he is an idolater, or a violer, or a drunkard, extortioner, I'm not to keep company with him. I'm not even to eat with him. And so Paul in chapter 4 says, don't judge. And in chapter 5, he says, you have to judge. Now, he does know that you're not supposed to make a judgment about everybody in the world, those who are outside the body of Christ, but only those who claim to be brethren, claim to be a brother in Christ. <coughs> now, is Paul co contradicting himself? Well, the answer obviously is no. The reason is that Paul in chapter 5 is not talking about judgments concerning heaven and hell. Rather, he's talking about judgments concerning fellowship, concerning those I can work and worship with. Now, there is a clear reason to be turning to 2 John why I can't fellowship just anybody and everybody. All of us want to be at peace with everyone around us. We want to be in favor with all men, much as we can. We want to walk honestly before others and live in peace and harmony and friendship and love. But the fact of the matter is, when someone claims to be my brother and either is living an ungodly life or is teaching an ungodly doctrine which leads souls to hell, God commands that I not fellowship that individual. Here in verses 10 and 11, he says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So there are individuals that I have to separate from, that I have to make a judgment about. It is not a judgment about whether he's going to heaven or not. You say, well, Jeff, well, how can you say that? You read the Bible, you see his life, you see his life is not in keeping with the Bible. Well, certainly you can say that any individual who lives an ungodly life is going to be lost. At the same time, when we make specific applications about God's Word, we need to be quite careful about what we say eternally. We might fear for someone's salvation, but we can't stand in the place of God. Certainly we can make application, and as it is properly made, it'll be God's judgment. Ultimately, if I make a decision about an individual and I decide that I can't extend fellowship. What I'm basically saying is I cannot in good conscience approve of his life. I cannot in good conscience commend him as a faithful brother in Christ. Now, there are a lot of people in this world that you may wonder about. I don't know if he studies his Bible like he should. I don't know if he prays. I don't know if he really is sincere or not. I don't know if he comes to church as much as he really can. There are a lot of people we don't know about. We're not to make arbitrary judgments about our opinion about the degree to which Christians are serving God. And there will be people that we fellowship who might not be right with God. We cannot read and judge their hearts. But what we can say is that as far as we know, that person, from what we can tell, is in a right relationship with God. We don't know anything that, that we can know for sure that, that would make him apart from God, any sin that he, he's got in his life, and so we extend fellowship. So I guess you could say we do give a benefit of the doubt 
regarding fellowship. And we'll wind up fellowshipping some people that God doesn't. It may also come because of circumstances and maybe a limited knowledge on our part that we might not fellowship someone that we should. Understand, that doesn't make them saved or lost. I might fellowship an individual who is not right with God. That doesn't save him. I might not fellowship, because I don't know all the facts, a fellow who is right with God. That doesn't condemn him. My decision involves those whom I can, in a clear conscience, say that as far as I know, this is a faithful Christian. And again, we do give the benefit of the doubt in circumstances like because we can't read the hearts of individuals like God can. Then you might ask, well, how do we know? What's the basis that, about which we make such judgments and such decisions about an individual? What type things do we make that judgment upon? What issues? What subjects? What teachings? The Bible talks about the fact that there are matters of milk and matters of meat. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. (coughs) Paul makes this statement in verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, you are not carnal and behaving like me- are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? When Paul established the church at Corinth, we read about this in Acts the eighteenth chapter, they were babes in Christ, and Paul did not feed them with meat. Now that's important to remember. They were like babies. And, and they, they couldn't take the meat. And Paul didn't expect them. God didn't expect them to. Understand that that means that a babe, a baby in Christ, a babe in Christ, his conduct is going to be somewhat different than one who is mature in Christ. And that's important to understand. God commands that we all be one. John 17, verses 21, 20 and 21. We're all to be unified as he and the Father are one. And Paul says we're to be of the same mind and the same judgment. But the truth of the matter is that while we are one on matters of milk, we're not all one on matters of meat. Remember, a babe in Christ can't take the meat, therefore can't understand the meat. Peter talks in 2 Peter about some of the things that the Apostle Paul wrote in his epistles that are hard to understand. That means someone who is a babe in Christ is not likely to understand them. They may get them wrong, or they may just not know, and that may alter their conduct. So there are going to be some areas on matters of growth. I don't prefer matters of opinion, but I understand what brethren mean by that. Sometimes I think the matter of opinion might give some people the impression that it's like a Ford or a Chevy. You can take either side you want to take, whichever suits you. <laughs> I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches at all. Every single issue taught in the Bible is something we need to pay some attention to as we have the ability to understand and the opportunity and time to study. And we need to make the decision not based upon what's most comfortable in our family or what, what seems to go with the flow of my life so far, but we need to make the decision about what we believe is right concerning that issue. 
And it may be a hard issue, but we do the best we can and make our decision based upon what we believe the Scriptures to teach. So personally, I prefer matters of growth. As we grow, we understand them normally a little bit better. Now, Hebrews, the fifth chapter, talks about the fact that we're to grow, and I believe we read this passage in this morning's class. Verse 11, talking about Melchizedek, he says, Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have, be- you have come to need milk and not solid food. They had digressed. It almost seems that, they, that there was a time in which they, they were receiving some solid food, but now they had come to need only milk. They certainly should have progressed farther than that. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So as we grow, we can grapple with the more difficult subjects of the Bible, the meat of the word, and we can digest that and understand that a little bit better. But what about those issues about which we differ? Now, obviously, the babe in Christ and the mature adult in Christ are to both still be in fellowship one with another. The fact of the matter is, the babe in Christ, though he understands so little about God's word and doesn't understand the harder issues, the meatier issues of the law, is right in God's eyes. And though he follows God differently in some ways than the older brother in Christ, he's fully accepted by God. God makes him stand, God lifts him up, God forgives him of his sin, and God teaches him and helps him to grow every day. And according to God's will, if he continues to progress and grow and study, he'll be mature one day. Here's a brother in Christ who is stronger and sees God's word differently. You know, by nature, we always feel that the way we see God's word is the stronger view. By nature. I mean, you think about this. I look at God's word. And I reason based upon my knowledge and my understanding and my experiences in life and common sense that whatever degree of common sense and wisdom I possess. And I see a position that seems right to me. And sometimes there's a tendency for me to say, well, it seems right to me. I don't know why it doesn't seem right to him. And there's a tendency for us to, to, to fracture and to, and to, to look at the other fellow as not, you know, he's not as smart as I am. We don't like to say that openly because, uh, you know, we want to be humble. We have to, we have to strive to keep a, a, a type of humility and an understanding of the fact that we may be the weaker one in the matter. And we need to give, that's the reason we give the benefit of the doubt. Until there comes a time in which I can stand up and say, this is what the Bible says, and God expects all men to follow this. Now, there are some issues that are like that. But there are many issues that are not. And, the, and the, the person who is fed by milk and the person who is fed by milk and meat sometimes going to see some issues differently. But God wants them to be in fellowship with one another. And so we have to be patient with each other. 
on a number of issues. And we'll talk about some specific issues in just a few moments. I do want to touch on the fact uh, about the issues of milk. What makes something an issue of milk? Let me put up a, an overhead, and I, if you want to copy the things that are found on this, if there are things that are somewhat new to you, you're welcome to come up if I don't give you time after services and take a look at it. God has commanded that the spiritual receive the weak, and uh, or carnal rather, and the carnal receive the spiritual Christian. God has commanded that the strong receive the weak and the weak receive the strong. Adult Christians are to receive babes. Babes are to receive the adults. They're not to draw lines of fellowship just because of these differences. The wise are to receive the foolish. And the foolish are to receive the wise. There are issues that separate us and things that separate us that ought not to divide us. They are, they do make differences. But they're not to divide us. We're to maintain fellowship. Sometimes people make decisions and I think, wow, that just didn't make any sense. I'd never do that. And you probably wouldn't. You may even think the decision they've made is a foolish one. And it may be. But there are specific issues about which we draw lines of fellowship. Just because you might think a person is is carnal and weak and, and a babe and foolish, that doesn't mean that we can write him off and say he's not a faithful Christian. I know he's not a faithful Christian, and so I can, I'm not going to have anything to do with him. At the same time, the Bible does say that there are those that we are not to receive. We're not to receive a transgressor. Second John verse 9, He who transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If God is not, if they are not right in God's eyes, and I know that, and anybody who reads the Bible and understands the English language in our case at all knows that they're not living right, what's that going to make me when I extend fellowship to it? Well, we read from... 2 John 10 and 11 is going to make me a partaker in his evil deeds. You see, these are matters of milk. Every person, even those who are not yet Christians, can open the Bible and can read certain things of God's Word and, can, and ought to be able to understand them if they're sincere. Now, if they're prejudiced, or if they're tied to their parents and they don't want to do anything to parents, they don't do anything that would condemn their parents, or they've been serving God in a certain way for so many years and they just don't want to change. Well, those people are not even sincere, are they? The Bible says a person like that is lost. And if I see someone like that and others see that they're like that, but I extend them fellowship anyway, that makes me a hypocrite. It makes me a partaker of his evil deeds. God said I can't do that. We're not to receive false teachers. False teacher in a very insidious way leads others down the path of destruction. Now, don't have really time to get on the subject of what a false teacher is particularly. We differ about different issues. Uh, parents might differ about when's the time to spank or when's the time for time out or whatever kind of punishment they 
parents may differ. We may have different judgments about about that. Uh, we may have different judgments about the degree of submission a wife should give to her husband, and what and what means a father's leading and 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 in in the family and, and when he isn't. We have, we may have differing opinions about that. Does that make one of us a false teacher? I believe a false teacher is an individual who will lead a person down the path of destruction. And I think there are issues of growth and judgment that do not condemn us in God's eyes. We certainly need to do the best we can. We certainly need to use the wisdom God gives us and teaches us in His Word and make the best decision we can for our family and for ourselves as individuals. But in areas of judgment... In areas of growth wherein you have young Christians and old Christians striving to serve God together, we differ about those things and still receive each other. And I don't believe anybody in that circumstance could be defined as a false teacher in the sense that it's used here in 2 John verses 10 and 11. But what if, what if a man's a false teacher on the issue of milk? Remember, Milk is something that every baby can take. And we're not talking about those who are lactose intolerant. You know, nobody's allergic to God's Word. So we're not, you know, we're not talking about that. Everybody, I don't care who it is, can receive certain things from God. We'll give you an example. Salvation. That's a matter of milk. It has to be. Someone's to be able, according to God's Word, to pick up this Word and read how we're commanded to believe on Jesus Christ as the Son of God, how we're commanded to repent of our sins and what that means, how we're commanded to confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized to have our sins washed away. Now, there may be certain aspects of salvation we can't understand. I tell you what, you read the book of Roman and, and Romans, and there's some, some hard scriptures in there about the subject of salvation. But the things God commands us to do in order to become a Christian, they have to be matters of milk that any person can understand. All right, what am I going to say about an individual who says, on the subject of milk, I don't believe you have to be baptized to be saved. We can read Mark 16, verse 16, Matthew 28. We can read Acts 2, 38. We can read Acts 22, 16. We can read 1 Peter 3, and verse 21. You can read all these passages that command, that clearly command baptism. But they still say, I, don't, I know that's what the Bible says, but I don't think you ought to have to be baptized to be saved. And here's an individual who is transgressing God's Word on a matter of milk. Not only can you see that, but everybody in the world who knows this individual and who is honestly handling God's Word knows it as well. If you extend fellowship to this individual, then you're going to become a partaker in his evil deeds. Actually, then you're a hypocrite yourself. And so what we have to do is we have to understand that, that God is concerned about our influence. Don't get this confused with reputation. Although that, I don't think it would be a misnomer to use that word here. I'm not talking about your personal standing among men. I'm talking about your influence to lead others to Jesus Christ. If you appear by the people that you extend fellowship to, to be compromising the truth that's found in God's Word on an issue that is so clearly taught in Scripture, then you would not be trusted by people to lead them to Jesus Christ, would you? And so that's why it's so important. That's why God says you can't fellowship just everybody. 
And when it's issues of milk, then we we have to be one. We have to speak the same things. We have to be the same mind and the same judgment. We can't transgress those or be a false teacher of those things. We're not to receive a heretic or those causing divisions and offenses. We're not to deceive those who are walking disorderly among God's brethren. So God calls on us to make a distinction, not about who's going to heaven or hell. We teach from God's word about who's going to heaven or hell, and we let God make the decisions. I'm sure all of us have been to funerals in which the preacher preaches the fellow straight up to heaven. I remember going to one a few years ago. The, the denominational preacher said that he had never met the fellow who had passed away, and he'd just come, moved into town yesterday, and talked to the to the widow and very grieved. But he said, "I'll stand before you and testify before God that this individual is in heaven right now." Now here's the fellow who admitted he didn't know the fellow. I don't know what the basis of his decision was. I have to believe there's some other people in the funeral that thought that was kind of strange as well. You know, the world's not as blind and dumb as we sometimes think they are. The things that we see that are clearly taught in scriptures, others see too. They may not follow the truth, but I honestly and firmly believe that so more times than not, they do see the truth that's found there. Now, what are some other issues that that might be? I, I'll mention one or two others that that would be matters of milk and why I believe they are. And then I want to go over two or three things very quickly before I close our thoughts about how we can determine whether something is a matter of faith, a matter of milk, and we draw lines of fellowship over that. Or is it a matter of meat, a matter of judgment, um, a matter of growth, and about that we continue to have fellowship, though we may disagree with somebody. I mentioned salvation. That's one area. It's a matter of milk. It has to be. The basic acts of what we're to do in order to become a Christian. Well, worship also has to be a matter of milk. Something clearly taught in Scripture because God expects the babe in Christ to sit right by the, the mature man in Christ and worship God. And not to, they're not to have conflicting voices. They're to do all things decently and in order in that worship purview so that so that all are with one voice serving and worshiping God. An individual, for instance, might have a personal... I, I knew a fellow many years ago who obeyed the gospel, and he maintained the belief that there's nothing wrong with using an instrument of music in worship to God. Now, I believe how we praise God musically is clearly taught in Scripture. Not only do you have Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, which tell us to sing, but you have no reference in the New Testament and no example in the New Testament and no implication in the New Testament when Christians ever used instruments. In fact, there are conflicting histories on this. No one doubts the fact that for at least six centuries and very well might have been 12 centuries, before anybody called themselves a follower of Jesus Christ ever brought an instrument into worship God. Was it because first century Christians didn't have an instrument? No, that's not it. They had cymbals, they had, they had harps, they could make flutes and things like this. They could have had instruments. They didn't. And the reason why is because it's clearly taught. And we need to understand that this brother didn't make any problems about it. He claimed that he frankly preferred the a cappella music anyway, but he just didn't see anything wrong with it. 
nobody, he didn't cause any trouble. He didn't go about from house to house teaching that false doctrine. And that babe in Christ was allowed time to grow, and he did. And he came not very long to the understanding that that's not, that that's an addition to God's word and that that's not what God's word commands. Now, would it have been right to draw lines of fellowship immediately? That is an issue of milk. But just as God gave the Corinthians time to grow, in the beginning Paul only fed them with milk. And you have to feed them, and they have to take the milk, and they have to digest the milk. So there's a period of time that God gives an individual. Now, it isn't 20 or 30 years. Uh, one preacher told me after a scathing sermon, a lady came out of the back of the altar and said, Oh, brother, so-and-so, you ought not to be so hard on us babes in Christ. And he said, Sister, so-and-so, how long have you been a Christian? She said, 30 years. He said, Well, I want to be patient with babes in Christ, but I, I can't have a lot of patience with 30-year-old babies. And yet, we, we are expected to grow. Actually, historians don't know for sure, but they believe the time from Paul establishing Corinth to the writing of the first letter was anywhere from three to five years. And if there's any kind of comparison to, to uh, our physical development, um, there is a period of time when, I mean, we become... Uh, little men and little women anyway, very quickly. We, we learn to read and write and understand things. And uh, there are young people who are very, very young who have a very solid grasp of the principles of God's Word, uh, enough to obey the gospel at a very young age sometimes. And if, if someone who is 8, 9, 10 years old has a grasp and can give all the right answers concerning the subject of salvation, what about an individual who is... An adult. Should they have take 20 years to come to learn the, the, the elementary principles of the faith? Now, the truth of the matter is they need to learn those and then move on as they grow and develop in Christ. How do you know? What is a matter of faith and about which we draw lines of fellowship? Well, there are two or three rules or uh, principles found in God's Word that help us to understand. We've already talked about the fact, is it a matter of milk? If it's a matter of milk, then it's a matter about which we must draw lines of fellowship. Is it something that is so clearly taught in Scripture that the only reason a person would deny it is if their heart is not good ground? if they're not sincere. And because of that, we cannot fellowship a person who takes that stand or teaches that doctrine. Is it a matter that involves the whole congregation? If it is a matter that involves the whole congregation, for instance, if it involves the use of the money that is in the treasury, then it involves all of us. And sometimes those issues can be very difficult to resolve. Um, the past two divisions in the 1800s and the mid-1900s among churches of Christ involved, at least uh, to a large degree, the use of the treasury. And some of the issues, especially involved in the division in our century, some of them were very hard to resolve. They weren't the easiest things to know the truth about. But 
since they involve the treasury into which every member is giving, and thus every member would have some type of tie and association with what's done with that money, a decision had to be made. And brethren studied and set their sights on finding the truth, and debates were held, and brethren discussed these things, and it took 10 or 15 or 20 years, but brethren came to an understanding of what they were going to believe. But they couldn't maintain fellowship if individuals were insisting on doing things that I cannot in good conscience give to. And they forced brethren that were, uh, that were consciously opposed to, uh, conscientiously opposed to these things to separate themselves. And that's when the division took place. So whether something is clearly taught in Scripture and whether it involves all of us. And thirdly, I would add the fact, is it a matter that God leaves to our individual judgment? And I mentioned how you raise your children, um, how you understand the specific application of the laws of the land. You know, the laws of the land are different than the laws of God. Uh, These fellows make a, a speed limit 65 because they don't want you to go 80. But an officer may, he may stop you at 65. Uh, obviously the safe thing to do is obey the law. But there are a lot of areas in which the law is not so clear and is quite fuzzy. And sometimes we might differ on how that is to be applied. Matters of individual judgment, even between mature Christians, they may both be mature and differ on how some things are to be applied. One of the things that helps is when brethren can sit down and talk. One of the most important points I can make is that on issues about which we differ, we need to always keep the lines of communication open. Whenever anybody on either side of a particular issue decides they don't want to talk anymore, that's bad. Because we need one another to come to an understanding of these issues. We need help. We need people with a different vantage point on these issues who have a maybe a better knowledge of certain parts of God's Word than I do. And so often there are those who say, I don't talk about it anymore. That's not a good sign. We're not going to arrive at the truth unless we all seek to contribute and continue to talk. And brethren traditionally have talked and talked and talked and discussed, and they have on issues of marriage, divorce, on on a lot of other issues. They have come to a general consensus. Is that because there's some headquarters handing out decrees telling you what you're supposed to believe? No. That's because men everywhere have opened up their Bibles and they've studied. And and it isn't because we've had one huge conference in which thousands of brethren got there. No, brethren in each different place that they live have studied. And the, the, the word and the study has traveled from place to place and and just as churches of the first century mirrored one another, brethren mirror one another. If all of us are growing up in Christ, there's a point at which we're, we're going to begin to look alike. We're going to act alike. Is that because we're pressuring each other? Well, not necessarily. No one needs to be pressuring. No one should be pressuring. And if someone tries to pressure you, you should try your best to set that aside and make your decision based upon what God's Word says. But if God's Word gives one message as Ephesians 4 teaches that it indeed does. And we're all growing in that one message. Aren't we going to be alike? Aren't we going to understand the Bible alike? That's not because we're an unorganized denomination. 
That's just because we're all seeking to follow God's word sincerely. And that shouldn't be any big surprise to us. Well, you say, Jeff, that's awfully subjective. Sounds to me like there'll be one fellow who says, this is a matter of milk. This is a matter that we have to divide over. And then another fellow will say, no, this is not a matter of milk. This is a matter of meat. And yes, we have to use the judgment that God gives us. God did not give us a set of decrees and rules by which we would determine every single issue that came along. God wants us to use our minds, our hearts. God actually uses our degree of sincerity and devotion to him to help us see the truth. In John 7 and verse 17, it says, If any man will do God's will, do his will, he will know the teaching, whether I speak of myself or him who sent me. So God will lead us into the truth, and whether we receive the truth and understand the truth will depend upon how sincere and how determined and how devoted to God we are. And God actually weeds out of the church those who are insincere by the by allowing the devil to lure them away with enticing doctrines which sound good. They have itching ears and they want a preacher that preaches it that way. And God has, has used that to purify the church. No one loves a division, but God won't allow sin to remain in the camp. And there'll come a time in which division is something that is needed and is according to God's word. Because brethren will not stand up for what the Bible plainly and clearly teaches, and we cannot in good conscience continue to fellowship them. Now I want to say one more thing, and then the lesson will be yours. There has been an effort in recent years on the subject of marriage and divorce to suggest that marriage and divorce is something that is not so clearly taught in Scripture. And, and actually, we don't have time to look at Romans 14, but Romans 14 has been brought up as, well, you know, you have a stronger brother and a weaker brother. And, you know, we're not going to say who's strong and who's weak, but just because you differ over what the Bible teaches about marriage divorce, that doesn't mean you need to separate and not have fellowship one with another. Are the issues of marriage and divorce matters of milk or are they matters of meat? Are they clearly taught in Scripture? Or is it something that is so obscure? i tell you, one of the things you can see, I've noticed on certain issues like the covering or certain issues like can a Christian go to war. I've been in places and I've seen different brethren talk about it. And these are brethren that on both sides I knew very well. I knew them to be honest men. I knew them I, in my discussions. I believed them to be sincere men. And yet they both took differing positions on some of these issues. And they both gave compelling arguments. Maybe not conclusive arguments, but compelling. You say, yeah, that's right, you know. It could be that way, I'm not sure. I tell you, on the subject of the, the covering, there are about four or five different positions. And I can honestly say that I can understand some compelling arguments to each position. And none of the positions to my, my 20 years of study is conclusive. And brethren, through the years, have been able... Now, there have been some pretty nasty discussions on the subject, and there ought not to have been, but there have been. 
And Christians ought to always conduct themselves in a godly way and in, in a courteous and, and, and merciful manner toward others. But brethren have differed on that issue and maintained fellowship. They have had spirited and heated discussions and went away shaking hands and embracing one another. That's one way that you can easily tell that an issue may be something that I don't know for sure. And I have a belief about the, what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 11, but can I stand up and say, I know it so well, everybody else needs to just do what I tell them to do. Well, if I had that attitude, then I'd need a good dose of humility, wouldn't I? I don't know everything. And I need to be very careful about having that kind of attitude. And I need to be very sure that something really is a matter of milk before I go and say things like that. Is the issue of marriage and divorce something that God expects those who have never opened the Bible to be able to open God's Word and look at the teachings of marriage and divorce and understand it? Can I expect my neighbor, who perhaps doesn't know how to find Matthew, can I help him find Matthew chapter 19? And can I read verse 9 to him? Where Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Does God expect him to understand that? I believe so. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul makes a statement about the Corinthians that leads me to come to that conclusion. He says in verse 9, concerning those who will not inherit the kingdom of God, he said, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexual, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice adulterers are found in that list of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says in verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What that means is that there were some people before they obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ who were living in adultery, who were violating God's marriage laws. There are those saying today that God doesn't expect someone who isn't a Christian to abide by or know the marriage laws. They have to keep some general moral laws, or um, one fellow years ago said they have to keep just the civil laws. But here Paul condemned them as being adulterers, as violating God's marriage laws before they were Christians. So that when they obeyed the gospel, they had to repent of that. Repentance means they have to change their life and change their conduct. It isn't any different with any sin. The extortioner, the thief, the murderer, uh, when you repent, you leave off committing that sin. And the same thing would be true about adultery. So, adultery... The marriage laws of God are indeed matters of faith, matters of milk, and matters that we must draw lines of fellowship. And when an individual teaches a doctrine concerning that subject, which will lead people away from God and might jeopardize their soul, we can't extend that individual the right arm of fellowship. And we can't approve of that individual and condone that individual and in good conscience recommend him as a faithful Christian. Certainly, we need to continue to keep the open the lines of communication. If we're wrong, we have to trust God and pray that God will show us the truth on the matter so that we can do what's right. It isn't important who is right. 
It's just important. What is right? And we need to make sure that we never get tangled up in personalities and, and whose position says what and whose position do you take. We just need to make sure that we're striving to take the position God wants us to take and stand on God's word and make sure that we extend fellowship to every single human being that we can and include and rejoice and edify and encourage uh, together with them as we serve God. And then individuals that are not right before God and, and we can say with certainty they're not, then we need to encourage and admonish them to repent and turn from their sin before it is too late and before the judgment day comes. It gives us an understanding that we all grow and we seek to grow into the full man just like Jesus Christ is. Just like that picture of who he is given to us in God's word. And Lord willing, he will help us and bless us to do just that. No person ever needs to draw lines of fellowship with anything less than love in his heart. No person needs to act or conduct himself in an ungodly or a discourteous fashion. No one needs to act holier than thou in these areas, but always humbly seek to bring people closer to God. And always be open to the fact that you yourself might be wrong so that others might show you with Scripture but of course, that also means that we need to always be ready ourselves to give an answer of the hope that is within us. But doing that will reward us by being closer to God and help us to learn more of what his word has to say in our lives. Thank you so much for your good attention. Open your songbooks to the song that has been announced. We'll sing the invitation song in just a moment. One day I'll...